0: Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you're important, you unlock reward, awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swags, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin, Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you're creating a free account, you unlock $10 just for trying it. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Use the promo code BRB for an additional 10% off your order. Thanks, guys what's up everybody uh welcome to episode 19 of the blue river bow hunting podcast i have a really cool guest on with me this week with uh dan matthews the nomadic outdoorsman how's it going dan
1: man i'm doing really well how are you doing
0: not too bad you know we uh we got some uh weather coming in so i've been trying to like get super ready at the house salt get everything ready because looks like here in indiana we're gonna get a boatload of snow in the next couple days so i'm trying to Get prepared, get food. You know how it is. Go to the grocery store and there's nothing left on the shelves, kind of thing.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel that. We, uh, same thing here. They've already canceled all the schools here in town. We haven't even had a single snowflake and they already shut it down. And I'm like, that means my kids are going to be home all day tomorrow. I got podcast <laughs> recordings to do. This is going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. They, they
0: kind of already said the same thing. Even at my work, I work at uh, Eli Lilly's pharmaceutical place and they're pretty much saying Thursday and Friday, don't even, don't even bother. Cause like, uh, we're going to get like a lot of rain and then that's going to turn to ice. And then we're getting the model shown anywhere from 10 to like 22 inches where I live. So it's about to get pounded on.
1: (laughs) I know. I'm like, man, why are there no hunting seasons going on right now? (laughs) Like tomorrow morning would be the best day to be out in the woods.
0: I wish I I was more into coyote hunting because I feel like it'd be really fun to get out there, you know, with the snowing like that and get you all dressed up and go hide in a fence row somewhere and shoot coyotes. But I haven't really ever geared up towards coyotes. Like I go with some buddies and stuff, but it's not something I've ever like really, really dove deep into. And I feel like I would like it, but it's just another thing that I'd probably be obsessed with.
1: Oh, yeah. I just got into it um, really in the past like 10 days. We we borrowed a buddy's electronic call, and I've always, I mean, any hunt that I'm on, if I see a coyote, it immediately turns into a coyote hunt, you know, oh, yeah. that type of thing. But I've never really put a ton of effort into it. We've killed like eight coyotes this week, man, and I am I'm hooked. I, I absolutely love it.
0: That's awesome. That's that's a pretty good number there. Do you guys do like the the derbies and all that stuff out by you?
1: The, I've seen a couple posts about it. I've never entered them, and I probably should because we kill big coyotes out here like if we actually try to kill them we find them pretty easily we've had gosh out of the out of the four days that we've hunted in the past week about um i think three of those days we had coyotes coming to our call in less than a minute and i mean one of them like it was dead on the ground we had already high-fived and it was like Fifty seconds into calling, so.
0: Oh wow, uh, he must have been super close.
1: Oh yeah, we had a double the same way. Um, the next day it was a minute and thirty six seconds. We had two coyotes come in, and yeah, I love it, man. It kills the time between deer season.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, that's kind of what I like about waterfowl, which we'll get into that here in a little bit. But uh, you know, once deer season's up, you know, it it I feel like it occupies my time a little bit until there's something else, or I'm getting ready for turkey season or whatever but uh waterfowl kind of fills that void for me there at the end of the season when it's super super cold and you know sitting in a deer stand with a bow when it's five degrees outside isn't the best thing because it's you know how it is when you're bow hunting when it's that cold you, know, you got all that yep. gear and stuff on it, it can be tough
1: yeah it definitely can the uh i i will say i would much rather be like frigid cold i'd rather sit in a tree stand and 20 below and in 70-degree weather, I cannot stand sweating in a tree stand. That drives me crazy.
0: Yeah, me too. You know, uh, early season can be rough here, man. I, I think our opening day this year was like 80 degrees. And, you know, some of the spots we got, it's a, it's kind of a, a track back in there, you know. And I got camera equipment and all that kind of stuff. And I get to the stand, and we're just like soaking wet. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, tell, uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
1: Man, so I grew up. I grew up hunting in Wisconsin. Absolutely loved it. Um I was I was the weekend warrior or like that 9-day orange army dude. I would go out with my shotgun. I still have the shotgun. It's a 20 gauge pump and that's what I shot deer with all growing up. About when I turned about 16, I got into bow hunting. I bought a Martin Magnum Jaguar. And that was my first bow and I shot I mean I shot the hearts out of targets like hundred arrows a day minimum I just fell in love with it and then moved down to Missouri um, enjoyed hunting still but from Wisconsin man I would not hunt public land up there there are so many people out there and you know we'd run into people with a beer in each pocket and the rifle in their hand and I'm like dude I'm not about to be the guy walking through getting shot and so I avoided public land for a long time Um, sold my bow when I moved down here and just went straight to rifle and since then I've bought bows and I feel like I cycled through bows as fast as I do underwear. I mean, I, I just love shooting <laughs> new things. And so, um, yeah, started a podcast this past year and it's taken off. I just talked to everyday hunters, whether they're into squirrel hunting or finding moose sheds or chasing mountain lions with hounds. Like I just like to hear about different opportunities that are out there and accessible to me. And I just love to travel. And so my podcast is called the nomadic outdoorsman. And I do, I just, I travel and hunt as much as I can. And I'm actually starting a new podcast this coming week called the Western rookie. And the whole purpose of that is to help people from the Midwest or even the East realize how accessible Western big game hunting is. Cause I thought it was out of my reach growing up. I thought, man, I'd never get on an elk hunt, a moose hunt, a mountain goat hunt. And now I've been able to do all three and Uh, I think just about anybody can do it if they, if they save a little bit and make it a priority. So, um, yeah, that's, that's it for me, man. I will, I will chase anything that has a legal season. And, uh, if it doesn't, that just means there's no bag limits, right? So, uh, um, like coyotes, (laughs) they've got seasons, but it's like, there's no bag limits on them. I love to, I love to just be outside. And so if there's something going on, you can find me in the woods or on the water. (laughs)
0: <laughs> sounds perfect man that's uh that sounds a lot like me you know i'm for the longest time you know i, I hunted really just indiana uh, and kentucky kentucky for turkeys uh was lucky enough to have some property down there i uh, still do um it's a little different than it once was but i never really got to travel uh much for hunting and f- until the last couple of years and then i like you said, I kind of just made my mind up and started doing it. And actually, it's funny that you bring up Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin was my first uh, out of state big hunt that I got to go on. Oh, nice. And I got to go up to Buffalo County, Wisconsin. And it was awesome, man. I, I, I just I wish anybody could experience that because I love Midwest whitetails. You know, I yep. love chasing big bucks in the cornfields here in Indiana, but it ain't nothing like chasing those big bucks in the bluffs off the river where I was at. It was yep. unreal. I couldn't even, it's hard to explain to somebody. You just almost have to see it. It's just like this picture perfect esque country that you're in. That's just like, there's so many white tail, It's unreal.
1: Yeah. Are you, where, where did you hunt? Did you hunt public, private,
0: A private? I actually went to an outfitter. First nice. time I'd ever done anything like that as well. Uh, I always told my wife, you know, I, kind of a dream hunt you know i want to check some of these these states off where um pope and young the people are killing giant uh pope and young bucks you know with their bows yeah and i was like well let's look it up
1: who uh do you mind me asking who you went with
0: uh rutting ridge outfitters okay nice yeah
1: i grew up right there i mean i i'm in Trempolo county that's where i was born and raised uh lived there until i moved down here for college Mm -hmm. and so i'm very familiar with Buffalo County, Tremplo County has been lights out lately. I mean, they're starting to get some of those big deer, but um, me and a guy uh, are actually looking at leasing about 400 acres in Buffalo County. And wow. And I'm super excited about it. I, I went up and checked it out last year, hoping to get up there this spring, do some shed hunting and walk in the property a little, a little bit more. And then, yeah, hopefully we can get some land because, dude, there's no place like it.
0: No, that's that's it. That's uh, I mean, besides, you know – I don't really know the counties for like Iowa, but like, you know, Buffalo County is the number one County in the United States for Pope and young deer. And, and it shows, I mean, yeah. it really does show. Um, the, the outfitter is just a couple miles North of, um, Alma, Wisconsin there on the right. river. And it was awesome, man. Everybody was super friendly. Uh, the guy that I had there for a couple days, he was awesome. He used to be a cameraman for Pat Nicole on their TV show And he saw how big I was into filming. So he gave me some pointers and, you know, stuff like that. And we had, you know, some beers over, you know, at night and stuff. And it, you know, some people have a sour taste in their mouth when it comes to outfitters. But the ones that I, that I experienced when I went up there, it was like, I went up there with my buddies. I mean, I went up there by myself and these people treated me like I was family and it was awesome. You know, I was in there, you know, the first day I got there, I got there a day early And uh, hell, I was helping the the guy cook and stuff before all the guys came in, we're throwing meat on the smoker and having beers and stuff. And it was just like I was at home, man. I felt I just felt like I was at home up there.
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they do hospitality right up there. Um, they'll offer you a beer, offer you a spot at their table, put you in the right tree stand where you're going to shoot the biggest buck. I mean, I, I really do love Wisconsin in the outdoor opportunities are endless i mean between trout fishing or musky fishing um, you can find bass up there the turkeys the deer and even they're starting to open up elk seasons and things like that and so uh, i think right now that's only for residents but they're growing the herd i mean they're doing that kind of all over the country but um hopefully here soon residents can start applying for or non-residents can start applying for tags but there's nothing like whitetail season, man. I'm telling you, it, I mean, you got to experience it. But for anybody who hasn't experienced a Wisconsin whitetail season, holy cow, it's lights out. I remember growing up, I'd sit on the ground on a bucket or on a stump or a dead tree, and I might have 45, 50 deer just walk through. We wouldn't have feet out. We never put trail cameras out. We would just sit. And it was just like, there's that many deer that you will randomly have. 45 deer just walking in front of you throughout the course of a day.
0: That's about what happened my first day. So when I booked this trip, you know, I asked the guy, we had several uh, phone conversations before I booked anything. And I said, you know what? Don't bullshit me. What's the best time to come up there? And he said the last week in October, the last week in October. So that's perfect. That's when I want to come then. So, you know, I was getting a lot of details, you know, that's a lot. It's about almost nine hours North of where I live. So, you know, I knew it was going to be cold, but they got this big cold front right when I got there. I think they got seven inches of snow the first night I was there. So I was bow hunting in the snow in October, which is, that don't happen where I'm at. Yeah, (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was just super cold. I mean, uh, the day I shot my buck, which was my last day, I think the high that day was like 14 degrees or something. And it was a type of thing where, you know, they drop you off in the morning. And unless you're calling them, they're not coming back until after dark to come get you. So... Um, you know, you had to brave the elements all day. You had to be prepared. They even like hooked you up with a lunch and stuff, which was awesome. Cause I already had one packed up my, for myself anyway. So I had an extra, extra Double meal. It's kind of cool. The story, when I shot my buck, I was actually eating my lunch. Uh, they had fixed like a, um, uh, uh, summer sausage sandwich and you could tell it was venison meat. Yeah. I'm sitting there just mowing down on the sandwich. I'm starving. It's cold. You know, I just happened to look down the bluff and there was a buck cruising just outside some bedding. And, uh, I hit a grunt call a couple times. He looked up and it actually took him 45 minutes to make his way all the way up that bluff just cause it was so steep. And he got to me and he kind of skirted me a little bit, 50 yards ish, went in the, into the bedding disappeared. And two hours later he made pretty much the exact same trail out of that bedding. But when he did, he skirted me at 15 yards and that was a huge mistake.
1: <laughs> yeah. and <laughs> That's awesome. There's nothing like hunting, rutting white tails in the snow. Cause I mean, you, you, you lose that element of the crunching leaves. You know, you might not hear him coming in, but when you're hunting in the snow in Wisconsin, like you can see a deer 200 yards away in the woods because it's just white. And then there's movement. And, uh, yeah. That's my favorite time to hunt. I love hunting in the snow.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I don't really get to hunt much in the snow here at home. If it is, it's like a, a late mu- muzzleloader opportunity. If I haven't killed a buck yet or whatever, which here the last few years, we really haven't muzzleloader hunted because we've been uh waterfowl hunting, but i haven't really had that much experience in the snow and you know like uh certain uh slopes of the uh the sides of the bluffs and stuff you know the the snow would be hard because it never melted off kind of thing and then you know he it was strategic how they were setting people up it wasn't just like hey you're going to this stand today they're pulling property maps out we're sitting there talking about you know barometric pressure the wind everything you can possibly think of and then getting set up and it was unbelievable. I met some really cool people along the way too. Like I said, I went up there by myself. So, you know, you can't be shy in that situation. You're going to have yeah. to talk to somebody, you know, and I'm not shy when I'm talking to somebody. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. so yeah. uh, talk about hunting Missouri, um, just in general, what's it mean to you and like, what kind of opportunities you get yourself into?
1: Man, I've been, I've been doing everything from dove and duck to frog gigging, to whitetail hunting uh recently it's it's coyote hunting i like to my buddy got or a friend that i i met a couple of years ago he was into chasing after rabbits with beagles and i did that a couple of times and i was hooked man i mean anything with a dog i feel like is a ton of fun you bring a dog out and get a dog involved um whether it's shed hunting or or rabbit hunting it's it's a great time but when i moved down here i really didn't know what to expect you know, growing up in Wisconsin, I used to hunt right there in Alma on the Mississippi for waterfowl. It was unbelievable, oh, and I man, would walleye man. fish right there below the dam. I watched a dude catch like a thirteen-pound walleye um, right there. I mean, just so many cool outdoor opportunities. Moving down here, I was kind of worried. I was like, "Am I gonna? Am I gonna lose that love because there's nothing here?" Come to find out, man, they grow big deer down here. Like they really do. I've seen hundred and eighty-inch deer that. <laughs> you know, these are free range whitetails and they're just sitting out in the field in front of me at 350 yards. Uh, I haven't got a close encounter with one yet, but, um, I love, yeah, I just love all sorts of hunting. I'm probably in the woods three to five days a week. Um, luckily I've got a supportive wife, but yeah, whitetail hunting with a bow. I mean, that's, that's, that's my sweet spot. That's where I love to be. Um, but if that's not in season, man, I'll be, I'll be chest deep in a cattle pond picking up (laughs) bullfrogs with my bare hands.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. So like talk a little bit about, um, the property that you're deer hunting there in Missouri. What kind of land are we talking about? We talking about flat with some sets of woods or are we talking about big woods?
1: So it's, there's no big woods, um, except for right across the street. Unfortunately, we've got probably a 12 acre chunk of woods, a 15 acre chunk of woods, and about an eight acre chunk of woods. And it all sits on 230 acres. Um, there's a big pond kind of in the center South of it. Um, but there's a Creek bottom that runs right through the property. I would say 80% of it, uh, has, is accessible by cows. Like cows are just in there all the time. And so I've kind of avoided that spot like those spots, but we also see a lot of deer there during rifle season. Like we shoot deer, um, in the cattle pasture quite a bit, but my main area, I mean, it's like 12 acres of woods and it's beans on the South and on the East of it. I mean, just big bean fields. And so we basically hunt the edges there. We leave the woods alone. That's kind of our sanctuary and we've got deer that come from the neighbor's property. They kind of corner hop the fences and they get in, from the corn, they might come into the beans for a little bit, or they'll just go straight from the corn into the woods. And so we're hunting, you know, evenings a lot, mornings quite a bit, and there's typically pretty good deer movement. Uh, I'm I'm very blessed. Like, I don't have to pay for this property. We knew the guy when we lived out there. Um, he's, he's since passed, but his sons took it over and they're out of state, and so they let us hunt there. Um, but we don't have any hunting pressure. There's no hunting pressure to the north. Nobody hunts at all to the north. Nobody hunts to the east. Nobody hunts to the west. And there's one bow hunter to the south. And so we've kind of got deer that are on a pattern that's going to be undisturbed by most people.
0: That's awesome, man. I think, you know, you talked about hunting those edges uh, on the ag. Man, that, I, I feel like that gets overlooked quite a bit and maybe not doesn't get its credit that it deserves because that's what I grew up doing here in Indiana, hunting edges of ags. I mean, we don't really have big, big, big woods here where we're at. It's mostly like 15 acres here, 80 acres here, you know, just spots of woods all over kind of thing. And I've killed some of my biggest deer, you know, transitions between those big woods on edges on the ag. You know, if I showed you some of these places, I killed these deer, you'd be like, I don't even know why you were sitting out there kind of thing, (laughs) but you just, when you do your homework and you hunt a spot for a while, you, especially during the rut, man, they're all over the place anyways. So, you know, trying to be, you know, strategic and get on one and, and you hunt some of those transition on those edges can be absolute money.
1: Oh yeah, it definitely can. The, my biggest issue is we've got a big river right across the street and they run those river bottoms during the rut and I can almost guarantee that I'm not going to see most of my shooters once the, once the rut hits, but I'll have random ones come through that I've never seen before. Like a couple of years ago, I ended up shooting one. Um, but earlier that day I saw 180 inch deer, um, 350 yards away, never seen it before. No cameras, no trail cam pictures of it, no sheds. I mean, I didn't know that anybody in the area knew about this deer at all until months later, but My biggest buck that year, uh, I had him on trail camera and he was coming in very consistently until the rut hit. Uh, it was always nighttime. I mean, he was definitely the dominant buck out there. He ran that river bottom all the way down, probably three miles away and got shot opening day of rifle season. And so that's the heartbreaking thing. I mean, we've got a lot of deer activity. I see them all the time. Thousands of trail camera pictures like late summer. I'm probably getting 2,500 trail camera pictures every week and and then it just shuts off, man. The rut hits and I'll get some, but definitely not the, not the locals. They're all chasing does around. So, you know, you talked
0: about the, the river bottom, we hunt, uh, quite a bit on the river bottom and, uh, you know, it seems like, um, like what you're saying, you know, you have some, some guys that are in there, um, regulars as you want to call them, you see a certain buck or bucks on a regular basis. And then it, like you said, it's like a flip switches. And then it's like, they're gone. But while they're gone, there's somebody else coming through there. And we took a trip to Ohio this year to hunt public land, just kind of winging it kind of thing. And uh, while we're in Ohio, we had a couple bucks, probably in the 140 to 150 uh, range uh, show up out of nowhere and like back-to-back days. And we're just kicking ourselves like we could be at home right now, uh, not sleeping in the tent and – shooting probably if we would have stayed there long enough which most of the time during the rut we're we're there all day for the most part you know trying to film and (laughs) that's a heartbreaker you know you're Mm -hmm. four hours from home and you're getting trail cam pics of you know giants 20 yards from your tree stand
1: (laughs) oh yeah we we traveled quite a bit this year i mean we typically travel a lot but there were a couple trips that were out of my control and uh, i remember i checked I went out the, the afternoon um, of the day before a big trip. And so I get out there and I'm like, man, I'm just gonna run out. I've been super busy. I'm gonna go check my trail cameras quick. And I'm not the like, I think it'd be cool to have cell cameras, but I love to be outside. And so it's like, I, one of my favorite things to do is go out and pull cards. And I just don't think I could give that up. And so I went down, uh, the property I lived on was 20 acres deer everywhere i'm talking like in the driveway in the mornings my kids would come running in there's deer outside i mean all (laughs) over the place lots of does we had we had a set of triplets uh triplet fawns and two sets of twins that i had on camera all at the same time one uh this year but i went down there checked my trail camera and that morning one of my shooter bucks was literally standing at the base of my tree like i had a ladder stand I had a double set. So it was a single ladder stand. And then I hung a higher up, hang on, um, right there. And that morning he was standing in front of my stand. And I was like, I have to leave at 5am tomorrow to go to New York city. And the <laughs> the shooter showed up for the first time in daylight since like August. What oh, is man. going on here? And it just seemed like my year like that, just that's how it went all year for me. It was a, it was a rough one for, for hunting.
0: Yeah, we had. Uh, I was fortunate enough to take a, a buck here in October, but um, for the most part, um, I've been deer hunting and bow hunting for for a long time. I've been bow hunting since I was fourteen years old, and I'm I'll be thirty three this year. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the weirdest, <laughs> this most piss poor I can say for a deer season that I've ever had. We didn't see numbers in deers. We really didn't. I. Besides a few hunts, I didn't really see that, that rut activity or even a lot of pre-rut activity because I normally see more pre-rut activity than I do rut activity. It was just the weirdest season, man. I'm used to going out and at least seeing you know maybe four or five deer and maybe at least a couple. You know, There was uh, periods in October where I would go a week and I, I maybe seen one or two deer the whole week. It was Dang. really weird how it, it all played out.
1: Did you have... Was it really warm there this year? Did you have an?
0: Yeah, it was pretty warm there. Warm for the most part. We had a few cold fronts come through, and that's when you have to hit it when it's been, when it's been warm like that. But uh, I, I don't really know how to explain it, man. It just wasn't a normal deer season here. And it, a lot of people around here have been saying that. Yep. And, you know, there's a few guys out there that were super successful and shot some absolute giants. And, uh, you know, that was probably something had to do with a lot of the property that they were on. But, uh, you know, a lot of my buddies here, we just didn't have – I mean, I can usually shoot five to six does myself if I choose to shoot that many deer. Yeah. I didn't shoot a doe this year. Oh, man. And I, I I, love taking does out early bow season. I like to get my does out of the way, fill my freezer, and then I can focus on horns after that and be pretty selective on, you know, what I'm shooting, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we had, we had a pretty warm year here this year, and I feel like the rut – Normally, like the rut is pretty condensed, you know, you have like a week of real heavy rut activity and inside that week, it's really like three days of just nonstop, like no matter what time of day there's deer out in fields chasing each other. This year, it seemed like it was, it was spread out for like a full month and it was like the lightest rutting activity. I mean, just hardly noticeable, but you might catch a buck chasing a doe on the neighbor's property through your binos or something. Um, but there just didn't seem to be that hot time where it's just like, go, go, go. None of my trail cameras reflected that. I mean, it just, it seemed almost non-existent this year and I'm kind of thankful for it only in the sense that I missed basically the full first week, actually the first two weeks of November hunting this year. I was in Colorado for one of those weeks and then in New York city for the other week. And so I just, I'm like, man, it's kind of good that these bucks haven't been patternable at all because somebody may have shot one of them and it just sounds like none of the neighbors had any luck this year either. So uh, I know a couple of my shooters made it. Um, I saw trail camera pictures and now it's just figuring out who the poacher is on my property. Someone's got a cell camera up and they oh. dumped 50 pounds of corn behind my stand, which I had to pull my stand because you can't hunt over bait here. And I just didn't want get, to get busted for that. Yeah,
0: I don't blame you one one bit on that. I wouldn't want to be in that situation either. Hopefully you catch who's <laughs> who's ever responsible for that. I've
1: got pictures of him. I haven't posted them on Facebook yet, but uh, I, I went and pulled the card out of his cell camera, and I didn't even know they took cards because I have no experience with cell cameras at all, but pulled the card out, put it in my computer, and the very first picture was him. He must have been like in his bathroom testing the camera. And so I just got like a mug shot of him staring at it. So I know exactly what he looks like, but uh, none of the neighbors seem to know who he is.
0: That'd be a kind of a funny story if you just kind of like ran into this guy, at like Walmart or something. Oh, or yeah. Out on the town, like, hey, you come here.
1: I just pull my phone up like, dude, I got you. You're busted.
0: <laughs> right. Like you got some explaining to do, bud.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about trail cameras. You said that, um, obviously, you're not running the, the cell cams. How many other trail cams are
1: you running on your properties? So, between all the properties I hunt, I've probably got nine nine to ten trail cameras. You know, I don't go super crazy with it. I just figure out crossing points on fences or hot travel spots, and I'll put a couple up here and there. Um, you know, right before the rut, I'll, I'll really line the edges of that, that woodlot that I hunt mainly um, just because I want to know exactly where they're crossing the fence. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. We've got an opening in the fence. I mean, it's enough for a cattle gate to be there, but it's just open all the time because the cows don't even get into the bean field to get into the woods and they just quit using it. They started hopping the fence instead of walking through the opening. And so moved move some cameras around. And so I, I typically run about four on that, chunk of woods just to really hone in on where the deer are crossing and then like i ran one one behind my house uh we had an orchard back there and i started like i'd i'd come home where i'd open up the back garage door and be shooting bows like i had a deer target and then like three or four block targets all the way out to 100 yards And i'd open the garage door and there's deer bedded down in between my block targets and i'm like (laughs) i should probably have a camera back here and see what's moving around (laughs) Um, typically you know i'll i'll typically keep it to one or two per property um unless it's a big property then i'll run four or five on it um yeah i love i love seeing deer on camera almost as much as i love seeing them from the stand um there's just something about knowing like, man, I got a monster out here. We've had a couple freaks on camera. Uh, we had a nice 13 point. It had a triple brow tine on one side. Um, my buddy sent me one another property that he's invited me to go hunt on. I'll have to share the picture with you. It looks like a reindeer. I mean, uh, it's just, there's like no structure to the antlers. It's just like they're growing everywhere, super tall and, and awkward. Um, But yeah, we, we hear about neighbors shooting monster bucks, you know, a couple miles away. There was one dude, he shot like a 23 point buck this year. Um, But as a whole, I would say if you can shoot 140, 150 inch deer down here, you're doing pretty good unless you have the type of land that allows for, for management and letting the age structure get a little bit higher.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Man, there's just something about, um, it must be something in the soil or something, but uh, the surrounding counties and the County right here where we're hunting, uh, there's just absolute giants. I mean, um, the new, uh, world typical record was just killed this year. Uh, not too far from where we live. Uh, yeah. I, I can't remember what it scored two sixteen or whatever it is, but it was a crossbow kill, which I don't, I don't, there's nothing wrong with shooting anything with the crossbow, but, uh, that's awesome. 219 inches or whatever it was. It was an absolute stud.
1: Oh yeah. We, for a long time, the world record was actually out of St. Louis County here in Missouri, or I think it was just south of St. Louis County. I don't remember, um, but it was one that was found dead. It was a deadhead, and they wow. found it, and that thing was a freak. And so when I found out about that deer, I was like, oh, there's monsters here. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm ready. Of course, we're in the southern part of Missouri, and so we're not going to get as many big bucks or, like, the concentration of deer that you're going to get up at, like, the Iowa, Kansas, Missouri um three-way or like where all the states connect Mm -hmm. but i've been very pleased with the amount of deer that i've got down here and growing up in wisconsin i feel like i learned pretty well how to hunt deer even though we had a high population like i didn't have to hunt hard i didn't have to hike five miles back into public land to find deer um but coming down here i had guys tell me like dude you'll be lucky if you even see a deer this year (laughs) and i was like taken back and i'm like really man i thought I thought there were a lot of deer here and sure enough i just put a little bit of work into it put some cameras up really looked at the aerial maps and figured out why would a deer cross here why would it walk through here like there's got to be a reason and once i did that i mean every year i've had success whether it's killing does or killing bucks
0: that's awesome so these these uh deer that you're targeting your shooter bucks you know you basing it off age. Um, like what are you basing the shooters off of?
1: Man, I I always try to have like this is what I'm gonna shoot. But I tell myself all the time if if I get super pumped about it and it comes in, I'm gonna shoot. Like, I don't have anything to prove to anyone. Sure, <laughs> right. I've got a podcast, but like. I don't anticipate running into 215 inch deer out here, you know, like there's always going to be someone that shoots something bigger. I do like them to be three and a half or four and a half years old. Um, a lot of people shoot yearlings or two and a half year old deer. That's just, I, I kind of made it in my mind that I don't want to do that. And especially with where I'm at, I've got the ability to let them get old. Sure. Someone down, down the river bottom is going to shoot one of them, but if I've got four or five shooters on camera, like that's going to be four or five really big deer next year. Um, and so typically, you know, I say if it's outside the ears and it's three and a half years old, like I'll, I'll draw the bow back on it unless I just feel funny about it in the moment. You know, it all depends. Each day is different when I'm in the stand. I've shot deer. Like I shot one deer, it was a mercy kill and I didn't feel bad about it at all. It was, not the buck that I had pegged out, but we can shoot two here in Missouri. Um, And so it came in, it was limping real bad. And I said, man, I'm super happy taking this one. I don't think he's going to make it. And it was, it was a nice little, I think it ended up being like a six point. It had a really, really nice side. And then the opposite side was just like a fork, um, but a weird fork, like two super long. It looked like two super long brow tines. (laughs) Um, And so, I don't know, man. I, every year I bounce back and forth about what type of age structure or what size deer I need to shoot. And it always changes like throughout the season. I'll say, you know, now I'm going to shoot this deer or I'm going to let them all grow. I've done that certain years. Like I want to see what all four of these deer look like next year. And so I just went out there to, uh, hunt does.
0: That's awesome. You know, like we had, um, I think it was like four or five we had, you know, really penciled in for shooters. One was a, a freak. He's a, a an eight pointer, but on one side he has a crab claw and it's like a mule deer fork. And it's really wild looking. That's awesome. And then we had one we called the really wide eight. I mean, I ain't kidding you. I bet his inside spread was 30 inches. Jeez. I mean, just straight wide out. I mean, he wasn't very tall, just super wide. And then we got one that's been on number one, but he kind of disappeared on us this year. Uh, we call him Mike Tyson. Uh, his body is absolutely huge. Uh, the last time we had pictures of him was in um, right before the new years of uh, 2021. And I'm guessing I'm usually some pretty close for the most part. I think he was around 180 inches. Uh, he was an absolute stud, but uh, he's, put the, he's put the slip on us for sure but um with like i was telling you with our season being as shitty as it was and then i'm behind the camera 80 percent of the time anyways uh i got an opportunity this year to take a i killed him on october 27th he ended up being a seven pointer i thought he was an eight pointer and uh i couldn't be happier but i was so jacked up you'd have thought i shot a new county record or something you know <laughs> yeah
1: man i like i like just having history with deer um like I said, with trail cameras, man, I like to get out there sometimes twice a week, checking trail cameras. And I, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are going to be like, dude, this guy has no idea what he's doing when it comes to hunting. I do zero scent control. Like I don't, I don't spray my stuff down. The The farthest I go with scent control is if I leave it in a tub for like a full year, I'll, I'll throw like some, uh, cedar slats in there with it. And that's about it. I go out there stinky as can be checking trail cameras and I've heard a bunch of different uh, takes on it. Like one, you leave the woods alone. You make sure the deer don't know that you were ever there. You know, you spray your boots down, you spray all your clothes down. If you can have someone drop you off on a four wheeler, don't even step foot on the ground, go straight from the four wheeler to the tree. And I've gone the opposite way. And I've heard just as good of things about that, where if you're out there, the deer are going to get used to you being out there. And if 10 months out of the year, you're not a threat. They're not going to think anything of it at other points until, you know, the rifle season starts. And then they're just going to get spooked by anything. Um, and so that's what I do. I've been out there checking trail cameras and had deer jump the fence 40 yards from me and just watch me for five minutes. And I'm not saying they're like super used to me. They're not going to come up and eat out of my hand or anything, but they're they're used to somebody being out there whether there's a truck out there or someone walking through on foot and I've watched them I've I've walked through the field and then stopped you know back by my truck in the in the creek bottom and looked back up in the field 4 or 5 minutes after I'm out of the field the deer are coming in there to feed again and so that's kind of my strategy man I don't I don't do the I don't do the scent control I'll I'll play the wind a little bit Um, but for the most part, I mean, the deer are almost walking directly downwind of me. Um, I think I've got, or it beats them a little bit. You know, if the wind's blowing 90 degrees to the right, they might be coming in at like 92 degrees. And so they feel like they're going straight into it, but, um, I've had success with it. I can't say I've never been busted by a deer, but for the most part, they just don't seem to care a whole lot, especially if I'm hunting them in the rut. Like they've got their mind made up that they're coming in.
0: You know, you're, you're not the first person that I've ever heard say that they don't do scent control. Uh, one of the guys, my team team that is, I'm super close with Adam next door. Uh, he's got a whole wall full of absolute giants and he cares 0% about scent control. And he always teases me cause I go through all these rigorous things and maybe I should switch it up a little bit. Maybe I should not care much about it. Maybe I can just put myself in situations. Like I don't get busted much either. I mean, if they're downwind of you, it doesn't matter what you have done. They're probably Mm going to whiff you at some point anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Like you said, going in and out or then being used to seeing farmers or whatever the case might be. I don't know. Maybe I need to switch up my tactics. Maybe I'll shoot one of these giants like he does,
1: man. I just tell everybody, do what works for you. If you find it, A tip or a trick like go with it and see if it if it doesn't pan out switch it up a little bit but every property is different the deer have you know the same senses and they can all smell really well they can all hear really well you're not going to beat their nose ever but i i hunted this lady's property in wisconsin uh man i was probably 14 years old 15 years old and she kept talking about this 23 point buck this 23 point bucket hangs out at the bottom of my driveway. I see it cross from cattails to cattails every day. And I'm like, okay, cool. And, uh, we walk her out to her tree stand and she lights a fire and I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I light a fire every time, just a small fire, throw some leaves on it, lots of smoke. And then I climb up in my tree and it'll just burn or smolder underneath my tree stand And I'm thinking like, dude, this lady is absolutely nuts. And she's (laughs) like, the deer are curious. They come in and investigate. They need to know if it's just a small fire or if it's something that they need to run from. And I kid you not, we were hanging out at the base of her tree stand. She's lighting this fire. And I mean, it's smoky. Like, she would just pile leaves on top of it. Now look up the hill straight to where the wind is blowing the smoke. And there's three does that pop up on the hill. And are standing there staring at us. And I'm like, oh man, this lady might be a genius. Like I thought she was crazy. She might have something. uh, She might know something that we don't. And then I went out to Colorado. I've heard the same thing from guys out there. They'll smoke their clothes. They'll put all their clothes over the fire. uh, Put a bunch of green wood on it or something that's going to smoke real heavily. And um, that's their scent control. I've heard of other guys like up on a backcountry elk hunt. They'll light a fire and have a bull step out. 300 yards away directly downwind to see what it is because out there especially like they'll get burns in those mountains and it'll kill off a lot of animals i mean they legitimately legitimately have to run from wildfires out there so it makes sense that they're going to come in and see if it's life-threatening or if it's just some dude camping (laughs) um yeah just weird stuff man do do what works for you and don't shame anybody like if if you got a guy telling you how to do something and he's got a wall full of like 20 just banger deer. Well, maybe take a couple tips or tricks, yeah, from right. it. but, but yeah, I'd say every property is different. The deer, the deer can be, um, they can get comfortable with people and you'll see that if you walk into a city park where there's deer, you know, they stand there and look at you five yards away. Um, I would love to have that property.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. I work in almost, I mean, when I say almost, I'm, you know, 20 blocks shy of working literally downtown Indianapolis and, um, they have this little spot that they, the Eli Lilly turned into like a, a rec place where they play, you know, company softball games and fishing and holding picnics and stuff like that. And it's got some small woods more along the river than anything that goes through the city. And there's absolute giants. I mean, and, yeah. and and they're standing right off the road. I'm over there like trying not to wreck my truck, and you know, <laughs> and they're like standing right by the road. But yeah. it's pretty cool, man. And and I see what you're saying, and and I'm like that too. You know, I I've said it a million times on here. You do you when it comes to any hunting. You know, just have fun. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter if you're you know sitting butt naked out there with a the crossbow. I don't really care as long <laughs> as you're having fun, man. That's that's on you. You know.
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I I just love learning and I discovered that I did a lot of things um in the outdoors based on what I was taught and I didn't learn them for myself. And I hear from people who are like adult onset hunters, they are students because they didn't have the person telling them how to do it early on and so they had to learn and they had to figure it out and some of those guys are the best hunters out there. I mean, they have just learned from their own experiences. And I I can definitely say that in college, I was not a student of whitetails at all. I just did the same old thing. I'd sit in the same stand in the same spot. And and if a deer was gonna come in, it was gonna come in. But if you just if you try to really be a student of the game that you're pursuing, you're gonna be a better hunter and figure out the the strategies that are going to work to, to connect with big whitetail. Like some of the there's one dude. I wish I knew his name. I heard the podcast years ago. He has killed almost more Boone and Crockett deer than anybody in the world. And he said he hunts public land and he goes in just in from the parking lot. Like he kills a ton of deer just in from the parking lot. He lets all the guys go way back in. It pushes the deer back toward the parking lot and deer are comfortable around people. I mean, they thrive in cities. They thrive on the edges. Look at Colorado Springs. I think they still have the highest uh, mule deer population uh, per, ca- or like per area out of anywhere in the world. And it's in the middle of the city. So, yeah.
0: It's kind of cool you talked about, you know, um, people get into it later on in life that maybe not grew up around it and stuff. Uh, I had a guy on, shout out to him, uh, Scott Thompson from Texas. Uh, this is his second year bow hunting. And, uh, he picked up the saddle to go with it. So he's a, you know, a first time bow hunter, first time saddle hunter kills two deer in two years on public land from his saddle. And he's, he's a big podcast guy. He soaks up the information. Like he goes and listens to all these podcasts and, you know, just puts it together from there. And I don't know, I don't know if I've ever heard of anybody even being that lucky you know luck luck's got a little bit to do with it too but this guy puts in time you know e scouting and checking putting boots on the ground and checking these places out um public land in east texas and dude's killing it you know yeah <laughs> and he, he this is only his second year um of bow hunting
1: man that's cool to hear i've i've talked to a couple people like that they got into it late in life maybe they grew up fishing and that's all they did and then they were like man i want to explore some of this other stuff and they go out and they just become killers like they do. Um, I feel like there is, there's gotta be something genetically with people. Like there's just some dudes that they can't not connect with an animal. Like I've got a buddy, Sean, like that, even me to a certain extent, I feel like I'm that way. Sometimes if I go out, I can pretty much find an animal that I want to chase after whether or not I get a shot. That's a different story, but then there's other people where it's like dude i've been bow hunting in colorado for 15 years and never even drawn back on an elk and i'm like uh <laughs> I, like i would definitely switch something up um but yeah i i love hearing those success stories about people getting into it late in life and finding success right away i think that's awesome
0: it is awesome and he's even like uh doing it and in, in um i think it's he lives in east texas and i think he's even uh, traveling into oklahoma and hitting public land there i don't believe he's killed there yet but even you know having two years under your belt and you're already leaping state lions i feel like you got to have somewhat of a confidence level just to even try that out
1: yeah i mean there's so much good content out there you can you can hear a dozen different good ways to hunt whitetail deer Um, just by hopping on YouTube or starting to look for podcasts, uh, even the hunting public guys, the seek one guys, like you, you listen to those dudes and they hunt unconventionally. You know, it's not the way that I grew up being taught to hunt. Like you sit down, shut up, don't move, (laughs) have a scent wafer clipped to your hat. That's like the smelliest earth, like earthworm (laughs) smell. And like, you're going to shoot deer. And I mean, sure I did. But if you want to connect with big deer, if you want a cool adventure that you might not get from sitting in the same box blind that you do year after year, like just soak up some content, find something that's working for someone else and try it. You might like it more than the method that you were doing before.
0: Absolutely. And like you said, there's so many different um, avenues on that. Like, you know, you might listen to, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of the Whitetail Legacy guys, but uh, I listen to them quite a bit and then you. I like listening to like the Whitetail Habitat Solution guy on YouTube, watching yep. him, you know, you can get us in so many different ways. And then, you know, whatever you process through that, you're obviously still going to do it your own way anyways. But, you know, if you have that um, data coming in from all different angles or people that are unconventional in certain ways, it probably can make you just a straight badass, really. I mean, yeah. if you put it together the right way, it could be very, very beneficial.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I look at it as like an MMA fighter, right? If there's if there's a dude who wants to be the best in the world, he's not just going to go get boxing lessons. If he steps in the ring with just boxing lessons, he's going to get tore up. And I feel like it's the same way with whitetail hunting. If you listen to only one guy, especially if they're not from your area or if their property is different, they might have 2,000 acres that's highly managed and you might have a five acre lot that you can't do any improvements on. Like, you need to you need to really become a student. Try to get as much information and see what's going to work. It might be years of trial and error, but I always say you're either going to succeed or you're going to learn. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, talk a little bit about um, like what how are you doing stand locations. Are you using a climber, a saddle? Or are you hunting uh, fixed stands all the time? What exactly you got going on with with your property?
1: Man, I've done a bunch of different things. Um I haven't done a saddle yet. My goal this year is to get in a saddle. I think it's one of the coolest things. I've been using basically a saddle to hang up my stands every year. Uh I've just got a rock climbing harness. I rock climbed a lot in in college and so I was like, man, I'm going to bring this rock climbing harness. I'm going to have my two lines going around the tree. Or, you know, I'll, I'll hook to a branch or something. And then I can, I can sit there hands-free and hang my stands. I've been doing that forever. And all of a sudden people are like, yeah, we're saddle hunting. And I'm like, (laughs) man, you're basically just sitting in a rock climbing harness. Like that's awesome. Um, most of, most of what I've done has been sitting in like a fixed stand. You know, I put the tree pegs in, I strap the sticks to it. I, I assemble a full double set or a double ladder stand and, strap it to the tree. Um, I've even sat on hay bales before, like just go and sit up. Uh, I've seen deer come in and out of rows of hay bales. And so I was like, man, I'm going to sit right here to where I can shoot the edge of it. And maybe something pops out. Uh, but yeah, I think saddle hunting's the way to go from now on. That's, that's my goal this year. Um, I tried to hunt public land once last year with my buddy, Tony, and I used my buddy's climber And this is the type of climber that sits at the base of the same tree all year long. And I got all the way up in the tree and it was the worst tree. I couldn't find a good one to hang in. And, uh, I get up there and I almost lost my platform. I mean, every time I would shift like either the top or the platform would just start to slide down the tree. And I was like, Nope, not doing that ever again. I'm going to start saddle hunting. So yeah, that's my goal.
0: Uh, I have the same goal actually. Um, I'm, I'm, doing a lot of research on it right now. I feel like I've watched enough and listened enough to figure out uh, how to get up and do it. Um, I just haven't made the purchase yet, which we're still a long ways off from deer seeds. So I still got plenty of time to get yeah. that experience in with it. But uh, we hang, hang lock-ons, double sets for filming. And, you know, we were having a conversation not that long ago. And I said, this saddle thing is a no-brainer. And he's like, yeah. well, why is it a no-brainer? Cause we never have to buy another stand ever again. And <laughs> yeah. you know, we go in and hang these sets. We're using climbing sticks. Why buy another set of climbing sticks when we can buy one really nice set of climbing sticks, set yourself up with a saddle and you can hunt anywhere. You yeah. know, if, there, if there's branches coming out here or there, climb the branches and you know what I mean? I mean, get, get yourself set up. You, you know, when we set those fixed stands, we're, we're limiting ourselves so much, you know, I mean, We don't have a thousand acres to hunt by any means. We have small pieces here and there, but some of them are a little bit bigger, you know, 40, 50 acres, you know, we need to, you know, there's a place we call the pasture. We've had the same uh, set in there for two years. We've, we've hunted it for two years and uh, we've killed some deer out of there, but the, the big bucks there always skirt us just in the inside of this pasture, like by 50 or 60 yards. I'm like, we could hunt 50 or 60 yards right over there and even if it was a thing where you know we just left those climbing sticks in there you know the ones we have for the preset stands just put the climbing sticks in there we just walk up and get in our saddles if you're wanting to be right there if not we bring in our our mobile sticks and we go someplace else it makes us i I feel like it's going to make us so much a better especially when it comes to filming we're probably going to get incredible footage because we're getting so much you know we're being mobile and if we want to hunt a public land if that's you know a thing we want to do we did that traveling this year going to ohio like i just feel like it's going to make us such a, a better duo no matter who i'm filming with
1: yeah yeah i totally agree i've i've been seeing deer change up even where they cross the fence and uh some days or like for part of the season it might be right underneath my stand and then it'll switch and they might cross 60 yards away and never come within shooting range and for me to just sit in the same stand hoping that one deviates from their fence crossing again like that's foolish if i if i can like the next day go in and set up 15 yards from where they're crossing like wouldn't that make sense you know i hear yeah, about right. guys doing that all the time hunting public land and they're like man I went back in the next day and just moved 80 yards closer. Cause it was hundred yards away when I saw it in the woods, moved 80 yards closer and shot it at 20. And I'm like, dude, I want that mobility. I don't want to be stuck. And I hate hanging stands, man. Yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> it, like there's the aspect where it's getting prepared for hunting season. So it's fun and it's exciting. Cause you know what's coming up or why you're doing it. But dude, if I could just go and climb different spots and get, you know, maybe a couple of shooting lanes prepped in the woods, um, for spots. I want to use my saddle and then be able to go on public land and do the same thing. Uh, that's, I think once I actually buy one, I'll never go back.
0: Same. I had a bad, uh, a bad experience with my climber this year. I took it uh, when we went to Ohio and that's what I was going to hunt out of. And actually the, the, the bottom platform, 45 i don't even know how this is oh possible and, and the crazy thing is i'm not going to mention the company i've tried to reach out multiple times called their hotline you know sent emails you know i i use that tree stand maybe once a year and it's only like three years old and like i was probably m- maybe 10 foot off the ground maybe and that thing 45 and I didn't, I couldn't understand what was going on with it because I'm standing on top of it. You know, I yeah. just, I couldn't get it to come up and it kept, feel like it was just wanting to lean back and, uh, I was sitting about 10 yards away from uh, my buddy, Ryan, that went with us and he's like, dude, dude, get down. I'm like, you know what? You know? So I finally figured out what was going on I get to the base of the tree. So I'm four hours from home. I don't have another tree stand. Oh, you know no. what I mean? And I just got lucky enough that I, I knew somebody from the area. Um, and he was gracious enough to bring a, a climber out for me to use the rest of, of the, the week that I was there, which was incredible. I can't thank him enough for that. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, I've had this saddle. I might have to carry this big thing in here and sweat to death. And it would just be so much better to be mobile and lighter and that kind of thing.
1: Well, and, and I hear about those guys that do it all the time. And they're like, man, if I'm not worried about noise, I can be up in the tree in like five or six minutes. Fully set, like, uh, bow, like bow knock, or I mean the arrow knocked everything. And they're like, and if I am worried about being quiet, cause I'm right next to a bedding area or something, I can still be up there in 12 minutes, fully set, ready to go. And so I'm like, man, it, you know, it's going to take a little bit more every time you go out, but the safety side of it, that's big to me. You know, I've got two little kids now. I can't imagine, you know, taking a dive out of a tree stand. I, I'm obviously never worried when I'm clipped in sitting there, but people fall when they're, going from their tree stand to their pegs or to their ladder all the time. And I just don't ever, I don't want my passion to jeopardize, you know, my health or, or like make things more difficult for my wife or kids either. So I think the saddle has got a lot of benefits and I'm super excited to finally do it. My goal is to have it before summer so that I can practice with it all summer. I'm going to, I'm going to set up, um, my bow range again, get up and just, practice being up in the tree, climb every time I go out and shoot my bow, just practice climbing the tree. Even if it takes 12, 15 minutes, get up there, shoot a couple times, climb back down.
0: Yeah, that's, that's my goal too. Um, I I, I'd like to get it at least before, uh, my birthday, which is in June. I'd like to have everything, uh, wrapped up by then. So it gives me a couple months to get that practice in. And, um, we own some property across the road from our house, and it's it's a hardwood, so I got plenty of trees to pick from, you know. And I'll i probably try to climb more than one tree when I'm practicing, so I it's not the same thing, you know, climbing the same tree every time. And I would love to shoot out of one and get that get that um, you know process down of you maybe shooting behind you at certain angles and stuff like that. But um, the the thing I'm really wanting to practice on is being able to get up in it and at a decent not super fast or not super slow, get a decent pace going and be able to set my camera equipment up pretty quickly. Cause you know, with our lock on stands that we have, we've gotten, I've gotten so quick at it. We get up the tree, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm putting the uh, base on for the camera arm. I got that wrapped up, you know, before he can even get his bow up, I'm almost, almost putting the camera on the arm already. I'm just gotten a good routine going. So, uh, my next question is what kind of, uh, what kind of bow you, you toting around?
1: Um, I've got the Matthews, uh, VX three or sorry, the VXR, um, 31 and a half. Uh, I switched to that this year. My wife got it for me or took me to the bow shop for my birthday. Nice. And I had a Bowtech prodigy before that. And I absolutely loved it. I didn't have a lot of negative, like a lot of negative things to say about it. I was dialed in shooting pretty decent groups out to 60 yards. Um, I just like shooting long range anyways. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I've never shot a deer even close to that far, but, uh, my last name's Matthews. <laughs> right. I'm from Wisconsin, just like they are. And so I've always been like, man, I want to get a nice Matthews. I've had a couple of them over the years. Um, but finally I went and got this one and w- switched to a single pin site, uh, the quick adjust mm-hmm. and Holy cow, man, one of my favorite things to do is just go out in the backyard and shoot night. I think the farthest I was shooting out there was like 96 or 98 yards. And I mean, at that point, I'm like super pumped, just (laughs) hitting the target. (laughs) Watching watching that lighted knock, just lob all the way out through the orchard and then just connect with the, with the block. There's nothing like that, man. I mean, awesome. I'll still only shoot, you know, max of 40 yards probably on a deer. Obviously, if it was an elk with a bigger vital area, maybe a little bit farther, but um yeah, I love shooting long range, man. If I had a spot to shoot 200 yards or a big enough target where I wasn't blowing out, you know, $12 arrow setups <laughs> every time I missed, um I'd be doing that cuz it's just cool. <laughs> I don't know oh, why.
0: That's awesome. We uh we get a lot of buddies coming over and shooting the backyard and stuff and we got this one uh block target it's a, a dart board so we'll oh, play nice. we'll play darts against each other in the yard with our bows which is is can be pretty fun
1: yeah i'm hoping uh just all the connections that i've made through the podcast i really want to do like a weekend get together um kind of like a rendezvous or even like the total archery challenge um the property that i hunt i've got free access to kind of do whatever I want. I mean, we let somebody that we knew, no, sorry, we let somebody that we know have their wedding on the property. It's not even our property, but we contacted the landowner. They're like, yeah, just tell them to get the cows off the property for the day. And you know, you guys can have the wedding out there. That's so awesome. we've done that. And so I'm like, man, it's enough. It's enough land. There's enough terrain changes. Um, you know, there's thick woods, there's field edges, there's Creek bottoms, there's a pond. And so, I'm thinking about trying to partner with a a local um, archery shop and see if we can get some 3D decoys out there and have just like a cool weekend deal where you're going out and maybe trying to shoot a moose at 150 yards or like have <laughs> some type of scoring deal. And then have like a, a big, like a game feast where everybody brings different things, whether it's frog legs, quail, pheasant, rabbit, deer, moose tongue, who knows, man, uh, I think it'd be fun.
0: Speaking of a uh, wild game, I go to one, um, every year called the winter fry and it's coming up here in a few weekends actually. And it's like all the old time farmers started it way back in the day. And it just evolved into a thing where it's like, it's awesome, dude. There's like probably five or six people and all they do all day long is fry fish. Nice big, long table, fresh fish. They dump it out. You got crappie or red snapper. I've tried all kinds of stuff. And then everybody always kind of brings something, you know, you, there's stuff I've tried there. I never thought in a million years I would try. (laughs) Like uh, one year, this guy had a big thing of these meatballs and I was tearing them up. I had four or five of them. You know, there's a lot of alcohol uh, beverages consumed at this (laughs) at this party. And uh, the guy goes, you like him, don't you? I said, yeah. I said, what is that? It doesn't taste like a hamburger. He goes, that's bear meat i'm nice. like dude that shit is so good i eat the yeah. whole pan myself but it's kind of cool and then you know everybody in there they're diehard hunters so you're hearing you're hearing stories from people's years or you know you you have the occasional guy run in from outside hey there's coyote out in the field and four or five guys take off running <laughs> to grab their rifles you know out of the back of their truck But yeah. it's pretty cool we got we got something like that we do every year and I can't wait you just to see some faces that maybe I haven't seen any um you know since the year before. And then you know there's some guys that come straight from the the goose fields because our our goose season's still in and they're all decked out and they're got their dogs with them and stuff, and they got a whole bed full of honkers. But it's pretty cool to have a party like that. I could see where something like that would be really cool, especially if you added like an archery shoot in with it.
1: Oh yeah, we do we do a big party here every year. um it's called the White Trash Succotash Bash. And we uh, we started it, gosh, 15 years ago. And it was the blow stuff up party. It happens every year on the 4th of July. We used to blow up like grills and microwaves and old TVs, radios, things like that. And we'd always have like a Civil War, Roman Candle War. And so you just start out lined up across and you shoot at each other. Well, it turned, it evolved year after year. And it got to the point where um, our frog season opens up at sunset on the last day of june and so we go out all night long frog gigging and i'm talking like you're catching frogs that are 18 inches nose to toes and we would go catch a bunch and then we'd save them for the fourth of july and we'd fry them all up uh we'd smoke a whole pig we'd have a giant skillet with succotash on it and then people would bring you know deer meat or or quail or pheasant or fish i mean cat doing a catfish fry and so uh the past couple of years it's been about 200 215 people that would show up for that thing and i've talked to people like that i didn't even know knew anybody from around here and they're like man i heard that down in southwest missouri they have this big party called the white trash bass <laughs> or something like that and i'm like what how do you like how does people know about this from five hours away it doesn't make sense um <laughs> but I'd love to get something like that together. Just have a good time with a bunch of people um, that love the outdoors and and could really appreciate some good food.
0: Absolutely. So talk about a little bit, I've seen like on your social media and and some of your your pictures and stuff that you you, uh, get into some waterfowl. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, that was probably the second sport that I got into in the outdoors. I mean, it was deer hunting with a, with a firearm and then, My uncle and my cousin got into waterfowl hunting. And once they did, they started inviting me out. And I will never forget that first mallard. It was back flapping in my face about, gosh, 15 feet out. And I remember raising up the shotgun, boom, and watching it drop. And I I was hooked from then on. I mean, shooting something that's flying out of the air blew my mind and i was like this is something i'm going to do forever the thing i love about it like here in southwest missouri it's not great i'm not going to lie like the other day uh actually yesterday morning was the last day of season here for ducks. we shot two gadwall and we were pumped about it we were like this is a good day we didn't get skunked but the camaraderie of it is the thing that i've really come to love i do love calling you know To call it a bird that's flying away and you see it bank hard lock its wings and come in for a landing there's nothing like that but to be able to sit there and hang out to talk to bs with your buddies not worried about movement or smell or how much sound you're making um and then a bird comes in and you all shut up and don't move for five seconds and then (laughs) hopefully get a shot at it like i will forever love waterfowl hunting
0: Absolutely. You know, um, I went to a small university to be a conservation officer. Um, and I had never waterfowl hunted before. White tails were even my passion back then when I first, you know, out of high school, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, some guys wanted me to go duck hunting. I'm like, sure, man, I'll check it out or whatever. Little did I know that I was going to become, completely obsessed with it for almost yeah. the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, like like you said, you know, you're hanging out with your buddies, you know, you're you're chit-chatting, you're laughing it up, you know, kind of thing. And then also it's like, oh shut up, here they come, you know, everybody gets down, you know. And it's not even that great here in uh central Indiana where we're at, you know, if you get a good, you know, good snowstorm and you get some come up from the north or whatever, and you might just get lucky one day. But uh we have those days where we, uh, get really lucky. Like we, we put in the time when it comes to scouting, we always have, you know, we find the birds, we get permission. And, um, we had a place we called the CrossFit hole. It was a flooded cornfield. I don't know if the the tile got damaged or what, but, uh, it would, there would be a a foot of water in it almost year round. I don't know why they didn't fix it for years, but (laughs) (laughs) the, uh, we got that place and we found it and we just saw cloud after cloud after cloud of ducks coming in. Mm-hmm. And uh um the first few days we hunted it, we killed sixty-seven ducks in three days out of it. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, we were hammering on them, you know, and it's just fun, uh, putting the work in and finding them. Like our last day of duck season here, we shot almost a five man limit of greenheads, and it was all because everything was frozen and we just had access to the river. And that's where they were all at. I mean, it was like shooting, you know, you said shooting a mallard at 15 feet. Some of these were probably less than that. I had a guy comment on the picture. He goes, looks like you guys' boys did some water swatting. Their heads are all messed (laughs) up. I'm like, no, they were point-blank range. You know, like the first group that dropped in on us, uh, I shot a green head directly out in front of me. And my buddy goes, dude, you destroyed him. I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? I aimed at his head. You know, we bring it back, and his his bill's like broken half. (laughs) you know just devastated oh yeah and it's fun too i think on the waterfowl side the diversity of birds that you can get into like you said you guys shot some gadwall you know we we did um some big water hunting there for a little bit and got in on the divers. And that was just an absolute blast. But just like the diversity of ducks you would get throughout the day, you know, do you get a group of divers, group of divers, group of greenheads, you know, or, or some, uh, canvas back or whatever. Like you were just getting so many diverse birds and it made it fun, you know, putting your bag limit together and, Oh Yeah you know taking the boat ride out there and setting up the blind on the lake and stuff it was it's it's always fun it don't matter i mean it's a lot more work i feel like than than deer hunting sometimes you know you got to put your decoys out or you know not blind your your a-frame in or whatever it is that you're using like you're putting work in early morning Yeah.
1: yeah we uh we chase after birds as much as we can here i like to travel i mean growing up in wisconsin like you're you're like the first people in the U S to be shooting at the birds. And so we had some phenomenal hunts up there. And even this year, uh, went up with, uh, Zach and Adam from Buck Gardener calls, super, super awesome dudes. We went up to some property. My cousin has access to in Wisconsin and we hammered them. I'm talking same type of deal. Uh, it was a, it was a cornfield and there was probably a 40 foot wide, like one foot deep puddle of water in the middle of it. And the birds wanted it so bad. We set up, we set up geese in the dry spots up on the hill next to it. And we set up ducks all over in it. And we were getting rained on by, by water coming off the bird's wings. Cause they would come in, land on the water, sit for a second, like right before daylight. And then they'd pick up cause they realized nobody's talking. Nobody's moving. <laughs> and I mean, there were so many of them doing it. You'll have to check out the the video. Buck Gardner actually put out a video from that hunt, but so much fun man it it was amazing and then even like out in colorado i never expected to be a waterfowl hunter out in colorado dude i'm telling you we had we had 13 i think it was 13 straight hunts or 12 out of the 13 straight hunts um we had eight man limits on geese and it and out there you can shoot five of them and so it's wow. like we were hammering them, but there, I had never seen this before. They dig full pits. So right. you're literally under the, the surface of the ground, your head like pops up out of a hole and it, you're just at ground level. At that point, we had geese like landing on basically on our heads. Like there were times you'd be looking out of the lid of the pit and it's like, guys, should I grab the leg of this goose? Like <laughs> I, could stand right there. I could just grab it and pull it in while it's alive. Um, but yeah big clouds of birds out there man i just there's you could spend your whole life chasing different types of waterfowl and never get to them all i mean there's so many cool opportunities when it comes to waterfowl hunting
0: i have we've we've talked about it here here recently we have a, a a person that we follow on the east coast i can't remember instagram or what but um it's uh, shooting them sea ducks you know on the east coast looks so much fun man laying in those layout boats and stuff out in the bays and stuff shooting brants and you yep. know all those kind of birds and it looks looks like a blast
1: dude even up on lake michigan i mean we'd be up there i i was fortunate enough to get to hunt a ton of different types of terrain for waterfowl i'm talking like giant marshes right off i mean in alma right off the mississippi river yeah, um man. there were spots there that we would hammer every type of bird i got to see a guy uh actually they, they were these twin brothers um they shot a 300 reward band drake wood duck and i thought nice. they were going to kill each other in that marsh man, <laughs> they were fighting over that thing um but hunting that hunting big cornfields all the way to literally hunting on the beach of lake michigan like just awesome right on the beach and you'd shoot birds that were just flying up and down the coast on lake michigan you'd shoot them and then you'd have to just sit there and wait for the waves to wash them to shore to pick them up (laughs) um just lots of cool opportunities and it will it'll be something i do for the rest of my life i can't wait to be that old dude at like the public land you know like 85 years old trash talking all the young kids (laughs) like that's That's my goal. That's what I want to be one day.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. So all of of all those experiences on the waterfowl, which would, would you say was your favorite?
1: Ooh, that's a tough question, (laughs) man. I really did love hunting the front range of Colorado. I mean, there's something about popping out of a hole in the ground, shooting into a wad of 40 birds and you see the Rocky mountains, you know, 10 miles away. Like that was really cool. And then wisconsin man i mean growing up up there it was an event opening morning um it, they wouldn't open it right there on the mississippi until noon but mm-hmm. we'd still have to get out there at 1 2 a.m just to get the right spot that we wanted because everybody was doing it and then you spend the whole morning you make a fire you grill bacon and eggs on a little propane grill i mean everyone's doing it you're talking to people that are hunting 40 50 yards away from you and then all of a sudden it's like eleven thirty, 30 and people get real serious and i mean <laughs> you never think about shooting birds at noon you know like that's right. always the time that everyone goes home and takes a nap or something before they <laughs> come out for the afternoon but it's like we lived for it man uh i'd say those were probably probably two of my favorite memories when it comes or two of my favorite places to hunt
0: that's awesome uh the um, the guy that owned the guide service in Alma actually owned a little motel right there on the river. And that's where I, I got to stay. And I can remember, like I said, I got there early and I was uh, leaving the room to go into town to get something or whatever, go out to eat or whatever, and that's all I heard. I was like, Man, them boys are hammering them out there. And then <laughs> yeah. I saw them later on, you know. They there was guys staying at the motel that I was staying at, and they had their duck boats and their, you know, their their limit of birds across the side and they're taking pictures and stuff. And I was like, Man, that's awesome. I, I've never really got to hunt a, a big river like that. I mean, I've got to hunt big big water as far as lakes go but i've never got to hunt a big river like that
1: yeah it's crazy and then when you get all that pressure out there i mean there's that many people pushing birds all over the place it's like a a rifle season for deer you know where the deer just have no safe place so they're constantly moving and you're seeing action all the time it's like that with duck hunting up there and the fact that you can go from seeing you know 180 inch whitetail to being in amazing waterfowl country in four minutes like it's a sportsman's paradise it really is
0: i think that's why i fell in love with it you know i uh came into town met up with them kind of wanted to check the town out and you know check the scenery out and uh popped in this little hole in the wall kind of bar place you know they're frying up perch and drinking old fashions and, you know, and then I'm going up back by the river and I'm seeing all the duck hunters and then obviously getting to see some of the deer that I did. You're, you're right. It's a, it's a hunter's paradise. I think that's why I fell in love with it. I've been trying to convince the wife that's where I want to retire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a sweet place. And then for real, you can go out and you can catch giant pike and walleye on the river right there. Um, in the winter, when the water starts to freeze over, the Mississippi never fully freezes, but right there below the dam, um, the water will come up and ripple and actually like melt the ice in certain spots. And if you go down at the right time, you'll see 60, 70 bald eagles, a couple golden eagles, all just like hanging out right at the open patches in the water hoping to catch a fish. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, the the atmosphere up there, the mindset up there, it's like people love the outdoors. They really do. They live for it even if it's just for whitetail season, like you can talk for hours to people about their experiences. Did you did you go to Buck Knuckles when you were I, up there at all?
0: No, I pretty much just stayed in Alma. And then, uh, like I said, the, the Outfitters little hangout spot was like, maybe two miles north of Alma right there along that highway that runs along the river. So I really didn't see much other than that. And like I said, I I was nine hours from home, so I didn't want to venture too far because I didn't want to get lost out somewhere. And something happened to me, like blow a tire. You never know what can happen. You know
1: what I mean? Oh yeah. You got to. Next time you go up there, uh, you got to check out buck knuckles. It's a little hole in the wall place. All the hunters know about it. Um, They've got a full, full, uh, taxidermy albino buck that oh, wow. that was hit up there and it's a tank i mean it's a big deer um, yeah. but just a really cool place i've been there a couple times and uh, all the locals i mean you could be in that you could be in that restaurant and see some of the most well-known deer hunters ever walk the earth i mean guys that know more like they've forgotten 10 times more about deer hunting than i'll ever know You're and right. uh, it's just a cool spot
0: Yeah, that's cool. You know, you have almost like a a local legends in there. You know what I mean? The guys, you know, are just hammering big bucks, you know, and you, in Wisconsin, they can shoot two bucks, right? One with a bow, one with a gun. Yep. That'd be cool. You know, I've never really had that opportunity. You know, we can only kill one deer here, uh, one buck here per year. Doesn't matter what weapon it's with. So I feel like, you know, that's a good rule in certain places. Indiana is probably a good rule. You know, you get the quality of that deer up, you know, without, you know, you still get the people that'll shoot the small ones, which that's up to them. That's if that's what they want to shoot, that's what they want to shoot. But with having that one buck rule, you're going to have a a pretty good stock of some big bucks somewheres.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean the management up there, there's something about the, the land up there, the soil, the crops, whatever it is, there's just deer everywhere. And (laughs) even with 600,000 people out there hunting and like some of the highest harvest numbers in the country, there's just still more deer all the time and so luckily they can do it but yeah there's other parts of the country where it's one deer or you know like you might not even draw for a deer tag um yeah. i just couldn't live somewhere like that man
0: <laughs> i'd be that'd be moving
1: yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> have you thought about um you know hunting in, uh like iowa or something like putting in your for your preference points and stuff
1: man i've i've reserved for the most part my my out of state hunts for things that I've never done or just gotten into recently so like uh I go out to Colorado every year for elk hunting I go up to Alaska every couple of years for blacktail deer um I put in I put in preference points out west I actually just talked to a guy on my podcast today about putting in for elk in both Pennsylvania and Kentucky and, uh, the draw odds there are crazy high yeah. and the, the caliber of bulls that you can find there are just like insane. And so I want to look at more of that stuff. As far as whitetail hunting goes, it's always hard for me to go somewhere else and hunt whitetail when I've got history with deer here. And there's always that possibility here, you know, right. like it'd be tough for me to go and find some random place to hunt. And hope to connect with something when I'm like, man, one of these days, the big one's going to slip up and walk right in front of my stand. And I am going to hate myself if I'm on public land, not seeing a single thing when he does it. So, (laughs) um, but I do love, I love to travel and hunt. And so I want to check it out. I think, I think when I do travel to hunt for whitetail though, I like to see totally different landscape. Like I want to go down to Texas, man. I want to go down to Texas and whitetail hunt or Mexico. I want to go up to Wyoming and whitetail hunt with the Rocky mountains in the background or near devil's tower. You know, like I think, I think for me, it's more about the scenery than it is like just shooting a big buck. I love the whole adventure
0: Same. that's what I was going to say. It's more of the adventure for me. Like when we went to Ohio this year, it, we weren't staying in nothing fancy. We were literally we pulled an enclosed trailer over there with uh with most of our stuff in it and we tent camped and it was uh you know sometimes it got pretty I mean I woke up the first morning uh first morning there and I had frost on my pillow. Like nice. I was I was roughing it for sure. Yeah. And uh it just it added to the adventure, you know. We didn't know nothing about it. Uh we did some e-scouting a little bit before going over there, but it was mostly like Yeah, let's just go wing it you know sometimes those wing it trips can be the the best places ever you know you find hole in the wall bars to go get you know lunch or dinner at or you know you meet that you know like you said local legend sitting there at the bar sees you're in from out of town obviously he can pinpoint that you're not from around there for (laughs) the most part and then you know talking to him and having a couple drinks is always a blast man
1: yeah it's it's just cool man traveling like i I tell people it's there's something in us that wants to get out and have that like escape from our everyday life and just go on an adventure like i can go every morning and hunt right here but there's something about like going and staying away from home for a night and chasing after something in a different state or a different county um i just love like hunting camps deer camps I I was actually joking with a guy on my podcast the other day. Uh, did you guys go to all like electronic check-in for deer in your area?
0: Uh, mostly, it's mostly uh, mostly that. I think you can call it in, and there still is some checkpoints. I think at like some local bait shops and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's all done on
1: your phone. See, I I want to start a movement that's like bring check stations back because I. That was some of my favorite memories was you shoot a deer, you take it to the corner store where everybody is hanging out, staring into one truck bed and you go over and it's the biggest buck you've ever seen. And you're hearing the stories and they're asking you and, you know, they've got a, a scale in the back that they're weighing your deer on after it's field dressed. Like I miss that. And I keep telling people, man, if you're in a, if you're in a heavily hunted area and you own any type of business, open it up as a spot where people can just come and get their deer weighed for free. And you will drive so much traffic because hunters love that side of it. Like who doesn't want to show up with their buck or a kid shoots a fork for his first deer and he just wants to show it off to everybody. And he sits there proud as can be on a tailgate. Like I think, I think we need to get away from all the electronic stuff and just bring back some more of that culture to, to hunting.
0: I, Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. We had a a small little bait shop called McDonald's bait shop. And you knew uh, uh, for the most part when it was opening weekend at gun season, there's 30 trucks out there, yep. you know, and the old lady that would run the counter and it was old school back then, you know, no debit card. You had to have cash to buy it on their little computer. You know, they barely had that setup going, you yep. know, when the, everything went to the digital side. And uh, if you, you killed a big enough buck, she would take your picture and they had a whole wall full of people, you know, people's bucks and stuff. And I was fortunate enough to be able to have my picture up on that wall for the longest time. And it was, they end up later on um, shutting the place down pretty much. It didn't drive enough business, you know, but uh, that's awesome. I'm totally a hundred percent behind that. You should start a movement where we're doing old school check-ins. You know, I remember when we used to get the, uh, the metal tag, and Mm -hmm. stuff and we don't even get that anymore
1: yeah i i understand from a conservation side of it the tracking and everything it's easier for them they don't have to have as much manpower they don't have to have all these companies that buy in or like you know have employees that are checking your deer in and stuff but i just feel like there's so much to it and i haven't really i don't think i've talked to anybody who's like man i am so glad all i have to do is spend five minutes on my phone to check it Like we used to just drive to the meat locker or the deer processor and just go and look at all the big bucks hanging in there. Like people want to see that somebody's killing something awesome, even if they're not the ones doing it. And so, um, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll get a hold of like the National Deer Alliance or something and and do or QDMA and and be like, hey, listen, guys, we're starting a movement called Bring Back Check Stations and uh, we need your help and support. I think that'd be fun. Maybe yeah, I'll we- just sell t-shirts. <laughs> I, could right. probably, I could probably get loaded just selling t-shirts. that say probably could. Stations.
0: That's funny. Actually this weekend, this Saturday night, I have a uh, whitetail unlimited banquet to attend to. So maybe I can talk to them and see if I can get something figured out on that deal.
1: Oh yeah. That'd be awesome. I there's the, the culture behind hunting, man, that, as much as the animals do it for me like that does it for me i love i love hearing stories my wife is always like man you could make friends with a rock i'm like if that (laughs) that rock has blaze orange or camo on i definitely could and uh i could talk about it for hours man to anybody it doesn't matter i'll find i'll be in the most hipster place in the country and i see the one dude and it's just like yep we're both hunters and we become best friends and you know talk for hours
0: oh yeah my wife uh, was making fun of me and even videoed me do it we took my uh son into indianapolis this year for the pbr uh, rodeo oh nice. and uh the guy sitting next to me had a pure whitetail shirt on and it's just eating at me you know i just want to say something to him you know and she could see it written all over my fight my face so finally i said hey i see your uh, pure whitetail t-shirt and from there and you know, we couldn't hardly watch the rodeo cuz we're just sitting there talking about deer hunting he wants some trail big pictures yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah she's got she's videoing me on the side like he could go anywhere and all he's going to talk about is deer hunting oh, it's kind of kind of cool it's an immediate
1: you know? bromance every time <laughs> right
0: but uh you know you said you you know you could talk about it you know for hours well you do you got the you know your your podcast talk a little bit about it
1: man the podcast is it's so much fun like connecting with people and hearing about their experiences in the outdoors and what gets them passionate. I thought it was going to be awkward. I really did. Like once people started reaching out, wanting to be on the show, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to be pulling answers out of these people. No, if you're into the outdoors, you like to talk about it. Like it, it's like people who do CrossFit, right? Like (laughs) you always know within three seconds because they're telling you about it. Like it's the same (laughs) thing with hunters and, uh, I've talked to guys like down in Florida that love to bass fish. And I mean, some of the, some of the most passionate people I've talked to are just no name dudes that, that, or, or ladies that love the outdoors. And, um, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like I tell my wife, I'm like, if you told me today that I had to quit talking to everyday people and only interview hunting celebrities, but I could talk to any hunting celebrity, I, I don't think I could do it. I love talking to the everyday guy. They feel like the underdog. And I've always said, like, I grew up, or I mean, for the past, gosh, I don't know, six years, I've been listening to the Wired to Hunt podcast, uh, Nine Finger Chronicles, Sportsman's Nation, like all those podcasts, uh, Meat Eater, and I'm like, man, it almost feels like those guys are untouchable. You know, like they're they're like the hunting celebrities. <laughs> right. Well, now through the podcast, I've actually been been able to communicate with some of those guys like Dan Johnson and I talk all the time on the phone. Like we hang out, we talk about where we're hunting this year or what deer we saw yesterday and um it's just cool to see now that I guess there's people it's, it's weird to even say this. There's people that look at me almost as like a hunting celebrity because I have a podcast and I'm like, dude, I am an everyday guy. Like if you want to come hunt with me, just let me know when you're in town. Like I'll take you out and we'll go fish or hunt something. Um, and so that's really, that's really what I've loved about it is connecting with people. Um, I've gone hunting with several people that I've connected with from the show. And, um, going out to Utah this week, going to go on a mountain lion hunt out there with a guy that was on the podcast. That's awesome. Um, Just lots of cool stuff that, and everybody, it's like, after I get off air with people, it's like, Hey man, send me your number. Like (laughs) I'll let you know when we're coming up that way. Like we need to get together to hunt or you come down to Texas or up to North Dakota and hunt anytime you want. So, um, yeah, my whole goal is to just encourage people. There's so many opportunities like I know there's people that want to go to Africa and do the safari. I'm telling you, you could spend your entire life and not experience all the outdoor activities here in the U S. And so I want to hear about them and decide which ones I can get out and do. And, uh, hopefully I can add to my list every year.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I found some of the coolest thing is, you know, when, um, kind of humbling experiences when you get those messages out of nowhere and they're like, I love your show. I'm not much of a podcast person. I found your show, you know, maybe somebody shared it on Facebook or something like that. And they're like, I really love what you're doing with the everyday, the everyday guy and stuff, which is kind of like a lot. what well, you got going on too. And, uh, and I've even had uh, the family members of people that I've had on like uh, my last episode previous to this one, I had a kid on from Ohio, uh big deer hunter, big turkey hunter and he um is just now getting out of college to be a conservation officer and he, he was kind of uh he, you could tell he was nervous about it you know we had talked and then uh when i got him on there and got talking and stuff he opened up you know we talked about deer hunting and he, you know, his, uh, journey of going through all the schooling for conservation law. And then I had his, like his family members reached out to me on social media. Like, I'm so glad you had him on. He, he can't quit talking about it. You know, it's like, and that's awesome. You know, yeah. like you said, you know, it can be a very humbling experience.
1: Yeah. I had, I had a mom reach out to me and she said her son loves listening to the podcast. And I'm like, getting choked up i'm like oh my (laughs) gosh she's like he does not stop talking about it he listens to every episode multiple times and she's like uh his birthday is coming up and like i'd like to get him a couple stickers or something like that so i send him a couple stickers like write a letter in there for him and then on his birthday i just hopped on instagram or tiktok or something and i was like hey man just wanted to wish you a happy birthday and they they had gotten him Gosh, I can't remember how it went down now. I think they had gotten him a crossbow for his birthday and they gave it to him a couple days early because of uh deer season. And he actually shot his first ever deer the night before his birthday with his new crossbow. That's and awesome. so, like, I just got to get on there and like, say, Hey, congrats, man. I'm super proud of you. I don't know this guy at all. You know, <laughs> like for some reason he, he thinks I'm a special guy just cause I have a microphone and I talk to people about hunting and I absolutely love that. Like just to be able to encourage and inspire, even if it's one or 10 people that get excited about the outdoors a little bit more, or get back into it. Even friends of mine, they're like, dude, I, I found your podcast. Like, I didn't know you were doing a hunting podcast. Like I'm actually going to go and get my hunter safety, like 35 year old dudes, like, man, Just hearing the stories and realizing I'm missing out on so many cool opportunities. Uh, One of my best friends from Wisconsin, he he called me this year. He's like, dude, I'm going to go get my hunter safety because I've been listening to your podcast. And I'm like, what? Like, that's awesome. (laughs) Like, that made it all worth it right there. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. Have you found anything that's this like a difficult side of things? Have you maybe had somebody on and like, you didn't think it'd go like it did. And maybe they just didn't really open up and gave you like really short answers or anything like that.
1: I'd say there's been a couple that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as smooth of a conversation or it seemed like it got awkward here and there, but honestly, like 99.9% has been good. And I would say the 0.1 percent that hasn't has been technology and my lack of understanding it. <laughs> like Same. just trying to figure out, stinging Wi-Fi. The I got a new, uh, I got a GoPro, and I wanted to get a better um, web camera. And GoPros, they they're super easy to use with Macs. And I was like, man, then I can take that out hunting with me. I was all ready to go. It worked for like three or four episodes. Well, where I have it mounted the cord it just wasn't quite long enough so if i went to twist it the cord would pop out and so i hooked it up to a longer cord tried to do my next recording and i literally couldn't get my video to work at all oh. and i am i'm so mad at this point it's like 3 days after getting this camera and i'm losing my mind for 45 minutes i'm trying to work through it i end up doing a recording and no video at all and afterwards i was like all right i'm going to go back start from scratch plug the first cord in worked fine and i'm just like dude that has (laughs) been that's been my achilles heel is technology that's really the only downside that i've found so far uh to doing a hunting podcast
0: that's awesome did you ever think you know at a a certain point you'd be you'd be doing a hunting podcast
1: i had talked about it for years like i said i listened to wired to hunt when when dan johnson was mark kenyon's co-host on that and i heard his i just heard him talk like a real dude an everyday dude talking about his wife and his kids and the struggles. And, uh, you know, he might miss a deer and he's just kicking himself over it. And I'm like, he's just a real guy. And he's telling stories from the outdoors and you can tell he is so pumped up about it. He's so passionate about it. And so I told myself, man, if I ever do a podcast, like I want to, I want to come across the way that he does. I want to be genuine if you, if you fake it and have some dumb radio voice, people are going to pick that out a thousand miles away. And so Ugh. I said, you know, I'm going to do it that way. And my wife, I, I keep a list in my phone and it's called the shark tank list. And it's all these grand ideas. Like, Oh man, babe, I just had a shark tank idea. It's a million dollar <laughs> idea. And I never do anything with them. Well, podcasting was that for me for a long time. I talked about it and talked about it. My wife goes a thousand miles an hour all the time. And she said, do it. Buy the equipment, get whatever you need, and just finally do it. And then she pushed me to do it and started uh, some social media accounts and just blew up my following and how many people listened to it uh, kind of behind my back. And she's like, well, now you got to do it. So uh, it's been fun, man. It, it's surreal, the conversations that I've been able to have, the connections I've been able to make, and um, you know the fact that I can talk to people all day long as my job now it's it's amazing
0: yeah that's that's really awesome um talk about um maybe some upcoming shows or something that you got planned out on the podcast
1: yeah so i've been doing the nomadic outdoorsman for quite a while and um i've i've got man i think tomorrow i've got two shows i've got a couple partnership calls and then friday i've got another show next week i cut off all my shows because i'm going to be out west doing that hunt um But then with the Western Rookie, the new podcast I'm doing, I'm so excited about that just to help people figure out that they can actually go and do some of these crazy hunts that they never thought were possible. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to be talking to hopefully some really well-known hunters. I want to, I want it to kind of be a mix of people who have a ton of success hunting out West and then some dudes who just got done doing it for their first time. And in my mind, if if I talk to someone who's been doing it for 15 years, like they're not going to answer my questions as a first time hunter. You know, they're not going to maybe remember the mistakes that they made on that first season out there. And so I'd like to kind of get a good mix of that, but that's going to be launching next week. I uh, can't wait for that. Tons of good episodes. I mean, I've got about six recorded right now that are waiting to go out on the nomadic outdoorsman. And then uh, yeah, we'll be launching the first ever episode of the Western rookie next Wednesday.
0: That's awesome. Um, how many, uh, episodes do you, um, publish and put out per week for the nomadic?
1: So I do two per week, uh, Mondays and Thursdays. Those go out right now. I'm sitting at around 80 podcasts, I think. And so there's tons of hours. It, I, I cover everything from frog gigging to dove hunting to mountain goat, um, Blacktail deer like you name it i i just love to talk about it so um hopefully it can inspire somebody to go out and chase a new adventure
0: absolutely i listened to your episode today with the the guy you had on that was also from missouri and you guys had a lot of uh, similarities on stuff it was pretty
1: funny and listened to to watch yeah it's it's a good time i enjoy connecting with people locally too because i want to make hunting friends you know like <laughs> absolutely sometimes I feel like a loser i'm telling my wife i'm like man i I need more hunting friends and she's like <laughs> all of your friends already hunt and i'm like you can never have too many you know yeah. like there's days where i call five guys and nobody's available to hunt well i love hunting with other people i really do so um hopefully i can keep making those connections
0: absolutely uh, what about some uh some goals for uh 2022 as far as the podcast goes you got any goals
1: man? um My goals, I think there's a couple people that I really want to talk to, um, on the podcast, people that I've been listening to for a lot of years. And then I just want to connect with, with listeners. Like I want to get people out here to Missouri. I think my number one goal would be to get some type of get together, um, scheduled. And so like that, that total archery challenge style with a, uh, game feed afterwards, Like, I just want to continue to build relationships. And I always set a goal of hunting with 25 new people every year. And so I want to hit that goal as well. Um, As far as the amount of downloads or listens, yeah, I mean, the more the better. But I guess I'm not as concerned with that as I am just getting people's stories out there, letting the everyday guy be able to share his experiences so that, you know, thousands of people can hear it.
0: Well, if you ever need a camera, man, I know, I know a guy
1: (laughs) anytime, man, you're, you're more than welcome. I give this invite to everybody and there's been very few people to take me up on it. Um, but man, if you want to come out, uh, don't just bring a camera, man, bring something else to shoot as well.
0: Oh yeah. I, I, I would, I would take you up on the turkey hunting offer. You offered up earlier,
1: man, a couple months away. Come on out. We'll get you on some birds.
0: That's awesome. I, I got to go out there last year and it, it was a blast, you know, a little bit different part of Missouri, but I'm sure there's, there's birds just like there was where I was at. Yeah. So, uh I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I, I've had a blast talking with you. You know, I usually set my, uh, shows right around an hour and we're at an hour and 42 minutes right now. It was oh, a great geez. conversation and I didn't want to stop it. You know, I was no. having a good time, you know
1: that's awesome i know my board is normally recording everything but because this isn't my podcast i'm not <laughs> so i haven't even seen how long we're going i'm like to be completely honest i wouldn't be surprised if it was two hours and i wouldn't be surprised if it was 30 minutes because like i lose track of time when i'm talking hunting
0: <laughs> me too man well, i appreciate you, you coming on and everything tell uh everybody where they can find all your stuff at on social media
1: yeah, uh go check out the nomadic outdoorsman on any platform. Um, it's the nomadic outdoors man, not men. So with an A at the end. But if you type in the nomadic, it should pop up pretty quick. If you want some seriously funny TikToks related to hunting or being married to a hunter, I pride <laughs> myself on that. I tell people it's the funniest hunting content you'll see online. Um, and hopefully if nothing else, it gives you a good laugh or you can relate to it. Um, so yeah, go check it out there. Search the nomadic outdoorsman, um, in any podcast platform. And then the Western rookie is going to be coming out next week.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate everybody for listening, you know, uh, give us a review if you're on iTunes and everything like that. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a follow, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Go Wild, just about anywhere you can find us. We're there. Uh, You all have a good night.